0: Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Today was day 30 of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings and we had live proceedings today. There was two panels of speakers dealing with critical incident command decisions and various aspects of those decisions. The first panel in the morning was uh, called Critical Incident Responses and it was dealing with the know, preparations for uh, those kinds of responses. The second one in the afternoon was uh, talking about connecting with 911 and communications uh, during uh, emergency response situations, critical response. So these uh, panels, I watched them. uh, They were... uh, not as connected to events as one might have imagined they would be when you saw what the topics of discussion were, and considering that we've just gone through a few weeks now of testimony from staff sergeants, sergeants, corporals, commanders, uh, and the decisions that they've made regarding the mass casualty, uh, ev- the events of the mass casualty. But uh, these panels today didn't discuss any of that. They didn't uh, make any mention of any specific events through the events of the Mass Casualty of April 18th and 19th, 2020. Instead, I would say these panels were talking to us as as though, one, we knew nothing about critical incident responses. Uh, That there might be a structure, that there might be officers, uh, you know, specialized officers in that field that there's training, that people train for these things. All of those things were were discussed uh, as though we wouldn't have known any of it. And secondly, that we want to know everything about critical incident responses. I mean, this stuff was kind of interesting if this was a seminar on critical incident responses. Now, the commissioners seem to be interpreting their mandate of figuring out what happened and what took place with the command decisions, as sort of a license to, um, I don't know, write write a new textbook or write a new, uh, you know, playbook for Nova Scotia on how to do this starting from scratch, as though there's nothing already in place in Nova Scotia, which of course there is. So uh, it was a little long, uh, not the best use of time. I would have thought you provide you bring in some of these experts, maybe not all of them. There's quite a few. And then you provide their reports, uh, demonstrate some of their expertise, whatever their fields of study might be, but then ask them about, here's what happened, here's what we know about the events of the mass casualty, what do you think, uh, what could have been done differently, uh, what lessons would you take from it, tell us, and uh, we'll you know, take that into account. That's certainly how a civil trial, a criminal trial, would usually work. You bring in an expert on a certain topic, you give them the, the facts, or as much as you know about the facts in advance, and then you get their opinion on it. But that's not what happened here. There's sort of a, uh, what's your opinion of critical incident communications, preparation, training in the broadest of senses? And they answered those questions. So who do we have? This was interesting as well, uh, because uh, we had, okay... Uh, Krista Smith, whose title is Legal Policy offer, Officer for the Mass Casualty Commission, led the first uh, roundtable of the morning, and participating were Dr. Kimo Himberg from uh, the Police University College in Finland, who appeared by video, uh, Dr. Hunter, Hunter uh, Martindale from uh, the Texas State University, also appeared by uh, video, uh, Bjorn Iver Crook from uh, University of Stavanger in uh, Norway, I may have pronounced the uh, Stavanger incorrectly, uh, was in Halifax in person. Uh, flew there. Carrie Murray Bates from the Toronto Police Communications uh, Center, uh, was in Tor- was in Halifax. Uh, Wallace Gosssen, who is the superintendent of the York Regional Police and is an instructor at the Canadian Police College on critical incident responses. Uh, He uh, spoke as well. He was in Halifax. And Stephen McKinnon, uh, who is the Deputy Police Chief for the Cape Breton Regional Police, spoke as well in the morning. So, lots of people flying in uh, that uh, probably could have appeared by video, but uh, I guess that's better to have them there in person. wasn't obvious that it was better to have them there in person, but I suppose it is. Uh, they they talked about uh, different things in preparation, that you do as much training as you can for different incidents, that uh, you engage community stakeholders in advance. So if you have a school in your district, if you have a major industrial complex or anything of that nature, that you you know who's involved, you know who's in charge of those places, who you might need to work with if there was a critical incident unfolding there. Uh, Superintendent Gossin made an interesting point, uh, considering the evidence we've heard over the last week especially, which was that a common problem in critical incidents is not knowing who is in charge, and that somebody needs to be in charge. Even if there's just two officers, somebody, and two officers of the same rank, somebody needs to be in charge. He says in his study, it's less of a problem of the specific tactics chosen by Uh, you know frontline officers or even the weaponry that they have but rather just you know command structure and who's who's giving orders at any particular time of course we've heard in the uh, last week especially about all of the uh, different staff sergeants and sergeants who were giving orders Um, not necessarily contradictory but it was unclear at times who was really in charge of things Ms. Murray Bates uh, from the police communications, Toronto police communications, uh, says that the information that is gathered, the information must be provided to the officers that are on the scene, and that is, in her view, a critical element of any uh, critical response. Um, it was the uh, Dr. Himberg from uh, Finland said also he sort of echoed the comments that the leadership must be clear and it should be on scene, uh, whoever among the first responding officers, whoever's the superior officer, whoever's in charge uh, takes leadership, and then at some point, if there's an escalation of events, then responsibility can be transferred uh, to a command center. I'll come back to that But because Dr. Himberg was referring to not a command center that is uh, you know, a mobile ad hoc command center set up nearby, but rather a central command center that is a, a permanent fixture. And that comment was echoed a number of times, more particularly in the afternoon from Ms. Murray Bates, who was talking about having people in the same room. And then um, D- uh, Bjorn crook uh, from uh, Norway talked about the uh, response to a few mass casualties there. And one of them was to make bigger police departments with uh, bigger command centers and that those centers were uh, permanent fixtures and not something that you would just take around and hope to establish, you know, during the critical incident at the site of the critical incident. So that seemed like an interesting uh, lesson there. Another lesson just from the, getting back to the morning session was to, uh, during debriefing, that there should be a a process immediately with the officers so that they can just sort of talk to each other before the end of the shift, sort of start processing what took place, and then a, a separate psychological evaluation, separate from any, Separate from any sort of um, evaluation of the, the tactics and the decisions and all that stuff, that there should be a separate psychological evaluation for these officers. There was even a comment, uh, I know, from um, Mr. Um, Martindale from Texas, that in cases they you know they try to prevent officers from going into a certain scene if there's nothing that they need to be doing, that they try to keep them out of classrooms, for example, where there's been uh, tragic events take place. Uh, so all all important lessons, uh, not necessarily all able to be tied back to the events of the mass casualty. So like I said, these everybody was sort of talking about their research and talking about other examples of incidents without mentioning the events of the mass casualty, and it's so it kind of leaves us to you know do our do our best to infer what could be made to connect back to those events. So. The command center certainly seemed to be one recommendation that was um, consistent among the experts and uh, another one was to you know not be too hung up on you know how that first part is structured just get something in there quickly Uh, there was a discussion about how citizens are really the first responders and with guidance this came up in the afternoon session with guidance from the 911 operator or uh, somebody over the phone citizens can do a great deal of helpful intervention uh, early on so that was a a theme that emerged um you know rather than waiting half an hour for whatever resources may be coming in terms of the police or first responders that citizens sometimes uh, need to act whether it's helping somebody who's in medical distress with some instruction or you know, uh, providing cover or whatever. So uh, that's uh, that was a theme that emerged. the uh, the The citizens as first responders. Uh, the other part of that that discussion was that citizens can be trusted with information and to be helpful under the circumstances. So yes, some people will panic, but most people will take instruction and handle that properly. As we saw throughout, uh, you know, the course of events in the mass casualty events, the citizens that had a chance, uh, you know, you think of the children, you think of uh, some others that you know were able to protect property or, or you know, provide information and talk to talk to the nine one one operators and such. Uh, people seem to be uh, to be able to do something helpful. I noticed today that the commissioners at the end of uh, the panel, the afternoon panel, more particularly were. Uh, seemed to be more engaged. They were asking some more questions, uh, looking, I, don't, I can't imagine it's in reaction to anything I said, but uh, I did think it was something they should do, which is ask more questions and get more involved. I was really thinking more in terms of fact witnesses rather than these uh, these analysis pieces, but it's uh, still helpful to get involved and ask a few things. Uh, they ask about analysis paralysis and the human factor and how that is all taken into account. Sort of a difficult question to answer because everybody's different. Uh, but then also, uh, um, Commissioner Stanton was asking about in, how do you ensure that the information properly gets from the 911 operator to the commanders? Because of course that was a uh, an issue here. So uh, that was those were all. They were asking some questions anyway, and none of none of what we heard today was uh, terribly groundbreaking in some ways. The I guess the most important things I took from it were the command center uh, you know the the importance of having that ready to go uh, ready to be helpful uh, you know ready to help the officers that are on the scene first and who you know have the best eyes and ears and then also the the role of uh, citizens and other first responders, the other uh you know point of getting there early. There was an example, I think it was, uh, from Dr. Martindale from Texas gave of a person that an officer that was on their own and there was, they were nearby a nursing home where there was some shooting taking place and they went in themselves, even though they were trained to wait for the four or five, uh, other officers to go in as a team and a certain formation and all those things. He went in by himself and was able to, uh, take the, uh, take the shooter down, um, ended up, uh suffering fatality himself, uh, unfortunately in that example, but uh, probably saved a lot of lives by doing so. Um, So there's, um, anyway, lots that first initial uh, responders can do without necessarily having uh, the right expertise. So uh, interesting uh, at times today, uh, not really specific to the mandate in my view, as uh, could have been really analyzing the actual events of the mass casualty. Uh, and it doesn't look like we're going to get to that tomorrow either. The, tomorrow, there's two more panels. The first one is uh, how to, you know, about making decisions under stress, under stressful situations, and how do you account for that and deal with it. The second one in the afternoon is dealing with the societal context of critical incident responses, the risks, the trade-offs. So uh, I know there'll be some discussion about budgeting and how that compares with regular policing and all those sorts of things. So um, we'll hear about that tomorrow. So uh, that was it for uh, today, day 30 of the Mass Casualty Commission, uh, two uh, expert panels. Uh, very expensive advice, I'm sure, um, helpful in, in some ways, and no doubt will form part of the recommendations emerging from this. So uh, that's it for now. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.